Welcome to it, everybody. This is Pod and Me. I'm your host, Devin Birdsong. It's wonderful to have you here along with us. Our most sacred week as Christians, Easter week. As we've done the last couple of years, we've set aside some time to come together and discuss some of the most sacred things about this week to us. We have a very special guest today. He's a repeat guest. It's Brother John Isaacs. He pastors in Alabama. Welcome to the program, Brother John. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here and uh, always appreciate the podcast and appreciate the laughs. And, and also uh, when you do serious, more serious episodes like this, I, I do appreciate it. Very, very helpful. And I appreciate the ministry aspect of the podcast. Well, we've got a lot of positive feedback on the episode you did with us at the beginning of 2022. I think it was you are our first episode that year. And then since then, one of your daughters was a guest uh, along with uh, Herschel's daughter back last fall. We really appreciate what you've done in supporting the podcast, and we're glad to have you here today. We've talked a whole lot about different messages throughout the years. They've been referenced on this program. I don't think there would probably be an easier subject matter to think about great messages that have been preached over the years than this subject matter of our Lord's sufferings and His resurrection. So let's talk for just a moment here about maybe some favorite Easter messages that you've heard. Sure, absolutely. You know, thinking back through the years when I was first saved as a teenager and then uh, my early years, even in the ministry, a lot of the preaching of the resurrection always included a lot of the message of the crucifixion, which I, I do think is is very necessary and a good thing. But, you know, I, I like to hear preaching that focuses on the event of the resurrection. Yes, sir. Um, sometimes you can't really separate the cross and the resurrection. I understand that, but I love to hear preaching that focuses on that event. And yes, sir. Uh, through my history, my my years of listening to preaching since I was saved, probably the most memorable message, and I'm sure you've heard this, and probably a lot of our listeners today have heard this, at least a version of it, but there's a message that comes up every year. It's Friday now, but Sunday's coming. And yes, um, I can't remember the first preacher that I heard preach that message. I don't know if it was um, S.D. Lockyer or some, some reason I'm thinking maybe uh, Jasper Williams, but I can't remember the exact preacher, but it had an impact on me. You know, when Easter comes around, I, I think about that message and it just really impacted me powerfully as a young Christian. And I think that's what the message of the resurrection should do. It, it, it opens our eyes to, you know, what our faith is, is all about and how it came about. Yes, sir. I um, listened to you talk about that particular message. I don't think since I've heard that message preached or at least a version of it, maybe it was just the title that was borrowed. I don't think there's been a year pass since I heard that message several years ago that I don't think about that on Thursday, Friday of the week of the resurrection and think about that and how dark it was at that time. But the point driven home was resurrection's coming. And 
Oddly enough, the man that I heard preach that the first time was a man by the name of Jack Hiles. Oh, yeah. And so (laughs) three (laughs) preachers here that's been referenced that preach that same thought. Why do you think that message is so powerful? Is it the simplicity of it? Is it the buildup? You know, in your mind, what makes that such a powerful message? Well, what it speaks to me of is the darkness that we all found ourselves in and the hopelessness that we found ourselves in the days leading up to salvation. I don't think people understand the fullness of the impact of the resurrection until they see the blackness of their own sin that they were in. That's good. And what a hopeless situation the believers in Christ were at that particular point. They lost faith. Yes. Yet the resurrection turned it around. You know, even though, like you said, every year you listen to that message and whoever's preaching it, or even if it's just reference or told as an illustration in a sermon, after you heard it the first time, you know what's coming. You know, mm-hmm. you know the summit of the message. You know that you're going to get to Sunday. You're going to get to the empty tomb. But still, that buildup is there because you go through the cross. You know, you see the sufferings there, and it, it looks like a defeat on on the outside. And and to you know, just the onlooker that doesn't know the gospel. But when you know the gospel, you know how the story ends. And I think that's why it resonates with me is because it is Friday. There, there are many times in our life where we're living through that, like you said, that dark time. But yes. no matter how bad it gets, Sunday is coming. Yes. And, and I've heard preachers that have preached the cross so graphically that it it, it literally just it shook you sure. when you heard about the sufferings of Christ, but still you know the end of the story. Yes, sir. And no matter how bad the suffering gets, Sunday's always going to come. Yes, sir. That's Even for the Christian, we go through dark times in our own experience. Jesus didn't shield us from that. Mm-hmm. He said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have big trouble. Yes. But be of good cheer. And you can apply it to the trial. You can apply it. Certainly, the, the greatest application is the darkness of sin. But the darkness of suffering itself, as a Christian, we have hope of a better resurrection after a while, too. I mean, I think it's a great opportunity to talk about the resurrection of the saints one of these days. You know, that's just another whole avenue that you can go down from from this is is you applied. Sure. You know, the resurrection is and, and I've heard this preached as well. And I'm sure you have because he got up. You know, we're going to get up. And, and yes, sir. Uh, the ultimate encouragement is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the things I enjoyed when I was evangelizing here a few years ago is getting to talk to other pastors, not knowing for sure whether I would pastor again, but we pastored our first church out in New Mexico and then evangelized for somewhere around five years. I told Hannah several times during that five years, it's so neat to me to sit down with different pastors and glean from what they had to say or just observe what they did and Uh, One of the things that you and I had discussed here a few weeks ago was some different ideas that we have around this week, what to do in our churches. Many years ago now, my dad, when he was pastoring, that's who I grew up under as a pastor, he set the Sunday before Easter, which was Palm Sunday. He would set that Sunday night as the night that we observed communion. 
And I've done that in the different places we've pastored as well. It kind of sets the tone for the week. So are there any things like that that you would like to share? Maybe that you do or someone else does. You say, hey, I'd like to implement that. Um, Well, as far as the pulpit ministry, you know, what we do on Sunday mornings at our church is verse by verse. It's, It's expositional verse by verse teaching, both in our Sunday school and our morning service. Sunday school recaps the previous Sunday's message. So the big change for us is that, you know, like right now we're in Ephesians. Uh, We just closed out chapter four. We will set that aside. It's kind of a, a, you know, big deal at our church because it messes everything up on our schedule. It also, to me, shows the importance of the time right? because, you know, we're we're inserting something different because it's so important. Yes. At least in the week or two leading up to, you know, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, I will preach messages concerning the cross, the crucifixion, the sufferings of Christ. And then, of course, on Easter morning, uh, preach about the resurrection. That, that's really the main change at our church. What about um, sunrise services? Have you ever been a part of those? <laughs> I have. Uh, yes, <laughs> I, I've done a few of those. You know, for for morning people, they're really great. I, I don't know. <laughs> yes, I don't know sir. what kind of attendance that we, you know we would get. A lot of times, you know, for the pastor, you're up so late on Saturday night getting ready for for your Sunday morning. You prepared and and. You know, I I usually start on Wednesday for our Sunday morning and still a lot of times by Saturday night, I'm still working on it. But yes, I have and I I have been to some powerful sunrise services, um, especially some of the most memorable were those that were out you know, in a cemetery and, and you're sitting in folding chairs and the sun's coming up. And, yeah, you know, I have been to some memorable sunrise services, but that's not really a thing around here anymore. I don't know if it is there, but it's it's kind of... I don't know of anybody around here that does them. <laughs> Maybe that should be something you should start. <laughs> I'm not going to implement it this year. I, I can tell you uh, that. <laughs> you uh, take a particular interest in character studies uh, as you were sharing with me, and that's something that I love too. I've I've got a few books by different writers that concentrate on different characters that are in the Bible, and it's amazing to me when I read through the passages of the Gospels and I see the picture of Christ every step of the way is looking at people, setting his own suffering aside. Not to say that he didn't feel the suffering; I don't believe that at all. I know he felt every bit of abuse and every lash of the whip, but it is. So so awesome to me when I read through the Gospels to see that he was giving himself as the sacrifice and literally handing his salvation out to whoever would believe. Mm-hmm. You've got a particular character today that you're going to concentrate on. I love to hear people's perspective on different people that Jesus reached out to. Yeah, sure. So as you said, I, I love to do character studies. I love to look at how that individual in the gospel story would have interpreted the events would have perceived the events, you know, Pilate, how everything would have looked through his eyes and, and, you know, Simon Peter and the mother of Jesus. But for the resurrection, somehow over the past several years, Mary Magdalene, she has settled into the position of my favorite resurrection character outside of Jesus, obviously. Really? Yes. I don't know what year, but several years ago, I preached a message on what the resurrection meant to Mary Magdalene. And I don't know how impactful it was for our congregation, but for me personally, it just, 
resonated so deeply with me that Mary, we would not know anything about her. She, There's nothing notable about her at all. As a matter of fact, what we do know about her is negative before Christ. Right. The only thing we know about her before her meeting with Christ is negative. You know, Mark 16 talks about in light of the resurrection, when Jesus had risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Hmm. So she never gets away from that stigma of her past. You know, she was she was bound. There's so many things that we could look at with that. You know, she was obviously on a path of self-destruction, pulled in seven different directions, possibly. But the beauty of it is the wording of her testimony is, uh, you know, Luke 8 says the same thing. A certain woman which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. When Jesus came into her life, those wicked spirits went out of her life. And that was her testimony. That's the only reason we know her is because Jesus delivered her from demonic spirits. You know, we don't know a lot about her life even after that. She was present at a lot of events, but she came from nothing. She came from the worst possible sinful condition that that I can imagine, uh, maybe other than Legion, but she was she was in that same category. Yes. And yet when she meets Jesus, he makes her somebody. He, he makes her noteworthy. He makes her a, a major historical figure in, in light of all the billions of people. Her name is at the top because of what Jesus did in her life. That's amazing. One of the things that you said there stands out to me, Brother John, and I don't know that I've ever thought about this. But You talked about the possibility of her being pulled in seven different directions. That is such a perfect picture of the confusion that Satan wants to cause in everyone's life. And before Christ, it is mass confusion. In our hearts, you don't know what to believe. You don't know where to go. You don't know where to turn. And it gives such a vivid, twisted picture of what the devil wants to do with everyone's life. That's awesome. But then what happens when she meets Jesus? She has one central figure, one focus on the person of Christ from that day forward. And yeah, and the reason I say that pulled in seven different directions is spirit of lust, a spirit of anger, a spirit of, of murder, whatever those spirits, whatever their agenda was in her life, they were each pulling her in that direction. But when Jesus frees her and delivers her, now her life comes into focus around the person of Jesus Christ. He becomes her life. He becomes a reason for living everything from that moment is focused on the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. And I love that about her story, you know, just the change that took place. Yes, sir. But then comes the cross. In John 19, 25, the Bible makes it very plain that Mary was there. It said, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, and then Mary Magdalene. So she is standing there with the Lord's mother and with Mary's sister. There Mary Magdalene is again. This is really where I guess the the message developed in me is I wonder how Mary felt as she stood there that day at the cross. Hmm. She remembered what she was before. Sure. Other people did as well. And other people knew, you know, the only reason Mary's different now is because of what Jesus 
the change that he brought about in her life. And so I can imagine Brother Birdsong that she's thinking, what now? You know, will the devils return? Mm. Of, of course, what, what's going to stop them? You know, will I go back to that old lifestyle of sin? Will I, you know, will I lose this peace? You, you spoke about confusion. You know, is she going to lose that now that Jesus has just died on the cross? And I think you could quite literally say that all of her hope died with Jesus on that cross. Wow. Yeah. I mean, what an awesome picture you paint there of exactly the way we feel those that have walked with him. I mean, I know she didn't abandon her faith. Her faith was being taken away. That's right. But what a picture of what the backslider must feel like. Mm, So true. And I think it's important for us to note that Mary's initial reaction to the cross was not to believe that Jesus had resurrected from the dead or that he would resurrect from the dead. That wasn't her initial response. If you look in John chapter 20, it does say that the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark into the sepulcher and she sees the stone taken away from the sepulcher. But her immediate reaction to that is not, okay, Jesus has risen from the dead. Verse two, she runs, she comes to Simon Peter and John and the Bible says that she says to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they've laid him. Her thoughts were somebody has moved the body of Jesus, Mm. but wherever she imagined his body at that moment, in her mind, he was still laying dead. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to be quick to criticize her because, you know, she's not alone in her unbelief. I don't think any of the followers of Jesus knew or understood the resurrection at that point. Even, you know, in chapter 20, verse 9, the Bible says of Peter and John that when they saw the empty tomb, as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise from the dead. I mean, we know that Jesus had prophetically spoken. Sure about his death and his resurrection on numerous occasions, but it hadn't taken hold in their hearts yet. And and none of them believed, and Mary included. You know, we have a 2,000-year historical account of Christianity, and we have the biblical account to support what we believe about the resurrection. They didn't have that, and they didn't understand that. And so Jesus died in her mind. And, and, and he literally did. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I, th- I think, you know, you said earlier, all of her hope was taken away at that moment. Her faith crashed at that moment. Yes, sir. I've just never considered her life. I mean, I've never looked at these details. And I love that about the way God deals with men to look into his word and to put together the pieces. He gives us enough there to see the picture of a person without Christ and a person that can have their hope restored. You know, I also think that Mary and the other disciples, their failure to believe in the resurrection speaks to the powerful effects of the cross as an instrument of death. The cross was was the ultimate doing away with of a human being at the hands of other human beings. I mean, it was designed to be the ultimate punishment of its day. Yes. It was intended to bring about a sense of finality and absolute judgment and justice. No question. In John chapter 19, the Bible says, Then delivered he him, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth in a place called the place of the skull mm. speaks of death, yes, which is called in the Hebrew Galgotha, where they crucified him. And again, verse 25 tells us that Mary stood right there as a first account witness of what was going on. 
And verse 30, Jesus says, it is finished. And he bows his head. He gives up the ghost. When the soldiers come to break his legs, as they do the others, when they come to Jesus, he is so unmistakably dead. He is so obviously dead that they don't break his legs. They do pierce his side and and blood and water comes out, right. making it even more, just bringing about more finality. And it's for good reason that the gospel account gives so much finality to the cross. Yes. Because Jesus had to be unquestionably dead. But on a personal level, that was devastating for Mary. Sure. It it was devastating to see this figure that she had put all of her hope in, who had done so much in her life, who was the only reason she was different, the only reason she was accepted in, in normal society, but to see him die, it, it had to be devastating. Well, how would we react? <laughs> we would have yeah. the same reaction. If you found out today yes. that Christ was dead after some time of following him, we would have the very same reaction. And, you know, we all have those times of crisis in our own lives where what we thought could never happen does happen. Right. Something maybe that is so life-changing and, and devastating. And at that moment, you know, we're, we're walking on raw faith. Yes. And, you know, sometimes those are moments of failure. Right. Sometimes those are, those are moments where we, you know, we do stumble. God forbid, but yes, sir. You know, I don't want to be too harsh with Mary because no. I have the complete picture. She, you know, I know Sunday's coming. She doesn't at this point. Sure. But then the the wonderful ending of the story and in, in John twenty already she's gone early in the morning. It was yet dark. The stone's been removed. She runs to Peter and John. She tells him, you know, somebody's taken the body of the Lord. And Peter and John run to the sepulcher. John records that he outruns Peter. Yeah. And, um, you know, he looks into the tomb, but he doesn't go in. Peter catches up. He goes straight in. Everything looks like Jesus checked out of a motel. And that was enough for John. He writes at that point that he believed Peter and John return home. But there's Mary still standing at the sepulcher. And what is she doing? She's weeping. She is still completely devastated. You know, as she weeps, she looks into the sepulcher. She sees the two angels, and the the angel says, Woman, why weepest thou? She says, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they've laid him. When she had thus said, she turned back, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was him. Mm-hmm. And he said, Woman, why weepest thou? And she thought he was the gardener. And she says, You know, if you have moved his body, tell me where you've laid him. And Jesus says one word that restores everything that she had lost at the cross. Mm. He simply calls her name. (laughs) When he called her name the first time, it brought her out of sin. Now it brings her out of despair. You know, she was quite literally rescued by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, that resonates with me because I feel that in, in my my life and and every believer feels that you know the resurrection is the rescue of the believer it's what brings us out of sin like you said when we get into those dark times in our life you know Christ is with us because he is a living savior brother john i've never given this particular character her due <laughs> as you're talking here it makes me a little bit upset at myself that i've not looked into exactly what could have been the thoughts and feelings of this woman who had had such a marvelous work of christ done in her life and then to go through that moment of great despair and when you said i feel that that resonates with me i feel that as well over and over we have to be rescued by the lord 
we have to realize it's not us. We didn't pull ourselves up out of that mess. Nope. I hear uh, Bill Gaither singing in the background when I think about this part of the, you know, the story of Mary, because he lives I can face tomorrow. Yes. You know, because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. Life is worth the living just because he lives. Amen. If there had been no resurrection, not only would we not know about Mary Magdalene, but those who did know her would have seen her decline back into her old lifestyle. They would have seen every spirit that left would have brought seven more worse than himself. Wow. Her end would have been absolutely tragic had Christ not resurrected from the dead. For a second, I don't believe the enemy didn't know what could happen in Mary's life. And certainly in, in those three days, you know, the enemy had his eye on Mary. Sure. And he was, you know, had plans to go back and, and destroy her. But thank God for the resurrection. To your point there that the enemy was watching what was going on in her life, we mistakenly put Satan as the opposite of what Christ is. We mistakenly think sometimes that he is all-knowing, Yes, knows what's about to happen. That is not the case with Satan. No. And he no. certainly didn't know the future either. Do you feel like I'm right there? I do. Um, you know, I do feel that, that Satan wanted to keep Christ from the cross, but I don't feel that he understood the full plan of God. I personally feel that he felt like the cross was a victory for him sure. in, in some ways. Uh, but we learn that what looks like defeat for the Christian is never defeat for the Christian as long as they're in the will of God. Yes, sir. Jesus was never more in the will of his father than when he was on the cross. Amen. But yet he never looked to the eyes of the world more like a failure than when he was on the cross. Right. You know, I think that goes to what Peter says. And, and, and you know, that's a whole nother character for another time. But Simon Peter writes that, you know, the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that you've suffered a while make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you to him, be glory and dominion forever and ever. He understood that it looks like defeat at times in our life, but there's always victory when we're in the will of God and following the will of God. I'm sure you've probably used this or heard this illustration, but one of my favorite sermon illustrations concerning the resurrection, um, you know, it said that on June 18th, 1815, a man stood in the Tower of England's Winchester Cathedral waiting for a signal concerning the Battle of Waterloo. And finally, one of the signal ships started to send a message just as a fog rolled in. And the message was Wellington defeated. You know, as that came through those two words, then the fog made it impossible to see any further message. But that was enough. Wellington's defeated. And so all through the countryside, from station to station, the message traveled, Wellington defeated. But then when the fog began to lift, the signal man realized he'd only seen half the message, Wellington defeated the enemy. Hmm. You know, the cross is only half the message of the gospel. The resurrection is the rest of the story. Amen. And thank God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks be unto God that giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I really appreciate you, Brother John, for coming on and sharing your heart with us today. Let's come back tomorrow. What do you say? We'll do it. Sounds great. Thank you for having okay, me. Okay, look forward to it.
Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear and want to show support, hit the support link in the description below.